there's usually a guy probably like me, right? <laughs> Who is a, a conservative Christian radiologic technologist standing behind the curtain, making sounds with his mouth. And, uh, and then the ultrasound tech looks and says, pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. Um, (laughs) Welcome back to reason together, the podcast for Christians who think about stuff. I'm your host, Daniel Fox here with my great friend, Tom Balsamo. And how are you doing, Tom? Hey, doing okay. Good, good. Yeah. Well, this is going to be an enjoyable episode. Um, I'm, I'm. First, before we dive in, I want to thank our patrons over at Patreon.com/slash/ReasonTogether. All of you pitching in uh, your uh, part of your life—that is, your money—and um, to to help what we do here. Sure, appreciate that. Again, that's Patreon.com/slash/ReasonTogether. And especially those who are the elite patrons who make a significant contribution to every episode that uh, we do here. And we thank you again for, for what you do. Uh, I need, um, uh, I, I'm going to ask our listener feedback today, reason together podcast at gmail.com. You can reach us there with uh, any of your thoughts, your questions, your uh, perspective, your uh, feedback on things that we're talking about or things that you're just thinking about reason together podcast at gmail.com. I want to start yeah. off today though, by, uh, by talking about um, like holidays, uh, holidays. I don't know if you know this, but there is like maybe not just a few shy of a bajillion holidays out there. Um, <laughs> it seems like, and, and I don't, yeah. I guess, I guess I know why people do it because then they sort of feel like they've staked a claim for their particular cause on a particular mm-hmm. day, even though like them and their three friends pay attention to that. Yeah. But, I've got this, I've got this app that tells me like every day what the holidays are. So, so like, how about this one? Um, September 21st was national school backpack awareness day. What is that mean? Like you put, yeah. (laughs) I'm, I'm almost speechless. Almost. Yeah. Almost. Almost. (laughs) But I, I mean, is there some sort of epidemic of kids walking around with, luggage on their backs that they're unaware of yeah well, i mean I, maybe maybe like hey bub did you realize you got a backpack on your back oh my goodness what? i wasn't even aware of that we where? need to where? This is, yeah we need to start a national school backpack awareness day so that more kids are aware of their backpack yeah how about just loading it with twice as many books they'll be aware of it like pretty fast right and then tell them to walk I to suppose. school yeah anyway okay this, so this is a this is a serious thing about backpack awareness oh no, i'm day? serious yeah yeah now, now today, uh, this is Elephant Appreciation Day, you know, because I mean, wow. the rest of the year, you probably just take elephants for granted. But today, <laughs> you need to just, you need to appreciate elephants, you know, yeah, for the value right. that they have in your life. Yeah. Which, just go which outside is, and, and put your arm around the nearest elephant and say, thank you. Thank you <laughs> right. for all that and you it, do. Come back here. Come back here. Let me put my arm around you. All the way around. All the way. Just around around your trunk. Thank you. Um, Oh, brother. Thank you for all you. uh, That's the sound you make when you get squished by the elephant. Yeah. So I just, I'm kind of, um, it's really interesting. Or, um, yeah, they're just just one after the other. So my, my thought is 
what what should we what should we have a holiday for? Maybe like we should petition to have you know a special day on the calendar, you know. And I think, and this is obviously tongue in cheek, but you know maybe like a a national let's decide not to kill our children day, you know. I mean, or like yeah. a national common sense day, but that could really apply to everybody to say, hey, you know what? Today maybe yeah. I'll use some common sense. Um, yeah, I think that'd be, that'd be good. Um, who do you, uh, who do you, who do you petition to get a holiday like backpack awareness day? <laughs> who, who does this? That is a good question. I don't know. Uh, September 23rd is hug a vegetarian day. I mean, that might be a little awkward, you know, especially if you're well, a vegetarian. The good news is you could do it. it. You could do it even if your arms are really short. Um, <laughs> that's right. Most it'd likely, be, it'd be a lot. It'd be like the opposite of hugging an elephant, I suppose. <laughs> um, you know, yeah. Uh, Maybe it's one of those things that's just kind of done in the court of public opinion. If you could create an app for anywhere between four hundred and fifteen hundred dollars, and fill it with holidays of your own choosing and stick it in the app store and, and market it somehow and get enough people to do it and get enough people to say it after a while, in theory, you could have your own holiday with some sort of uh, buzz marketing campaign and maybe mm-hmm. it'll stick. Think, I mean, how do you think Valentine's day got here? Um, <laughs> just <laughs> yeah. make it popular oh, in the brother. court of public opinion. And there it is. Um, yeah. So yeah, that, yeah. My listeners, what holiday would you recommend? What would you like to see on the calendar that we should, uh, we should celebrate? Um, that being said, like a national common sense day, um, Mm -hmm. I have, I have to share with you and I, am kind of triggered today and really, I am in a good mood. Um, it it has been a good day. Hold on. Daniel Fox is triggered. Yeah. (laughs) Watch out everyone. It's uh, it's going to be a rough ride on this episode. Oh yeah, yeah, no joke. Because I'm, you talk about, you know, <laughs> the, the wrath and fury of Daniel <laughs> Fox. It's uh, hold on, folks. Yeah, Race it's yourselves. like feeling Jello hit your face. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, brother. So okay, so. You know, that's actually that's actually a sideways compliment there because Daniel Fox is a hard guy to get riled up. And that's uh, <laughs> it's more than can be said for the other host of this thing, <laughs> <laughs> this thing. So, you know, a lot of times you try to sometimes maybe you don't, but you, you, people say some silly stuff and maybe you sort of just let it go. You kind of accommodate them. But I just, this was absolutely mind-blowing. Maybe one of the stupidest things I have ever heard in my life. Okay. When I, listened- I see that. I see that on our list. I just <laughs> yeah. see the stupidest thing I've ever heard. And that's the one I wanted to do first. And I've, and I've heard a number of stupid things, I'm sure. But this yeah. has to be one of the stupidest. And, and let's unpack Lay this it on for me. a minute. Okay. Lay it on me. Stacey Abrams. There's a video of Stacey Abrams on a panel. <laughs> I don't know. I, I mean, obviously, I don't have the context of several minutes behind and after, but the actual statement that came out of her mouth, she said almost, and I quote, uh, and I almost quote, there's no such thing as a heartbeat at six weeks. It I was, this. that is a manufactured sound designed to convince people to let men 
take con- women's control of women's body away from them. Wait, you know, and n- nobody. So, at least, it's a, like, so it's a big conspiracy. That's right. I, that that is like the biggest conspiracy I have ever heard of. <laughs> yep. I will have to talk to my my ultrasound friends and uh, make sure that they're aware that their machines could be hacked by Big Brother uh, to make it sound like babies in the womb have heartbeats when they really That's don't. Right. I mean, I will, I've almost um, wondered if like there's been a collective agreement of millions of doctors or, 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 or rad techs who are like holding this device and they're like going... <laughs> And then they stop somehow in the middle of that sound. And they go, "Oh, hey, um, you know, you notice that's the your your baby's heartbeat. You should probably let a man have control of your body." You know, and I'm just yeah. like, what in the world? It's a manufactured design sound designed to convince people to let men yeah. take control of women's bodies away from them. Like, well, what, what it is, what it is, is the ultrasound tech can't do that because they're there with the patient. So the patient would see them doing that. <laughs> so really if you notice it. a curtain, if you notice a curtain in the corner of your room, when you're having your ultrasound done for your baby, curtain. there's usually a guy probably like me, right? <laughs> Who is a, a conservative Christian radiologic technologist standing behind the curtain making sounds with his mouth. And, uh, and then the ultrasound tech looks and says, pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. Um, That's what it is. You heard it here first folks on reason together, the nationwide conspiracy. We have the ultrasound machine. It is caused by, I admit it publicly. It is me. I am behind the curtain. That's I am right. making the heartbeat sound. And, and then, of course, the logical step, that, that sound that you hear means that a man should mm-hmm. take control of your body away from you. What? Right. <laughs> like, you shouldn't, move your, you shouldn't move your own arms anymore. You should let a man move your arms. I mean, what a, a control of my body. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Like, like I, yeah. can't, I can't breathe without a man. Please help right. us. I, you know, obviously, that's not what she's saying, but it's so absurd on its face uh, that... Well, well this is the same sound. I can't believe it. It's... Yeah, this is the same woman who still believes she is the rightful governor of Georgia right. uh, after losing a fair election. Um, so just just consider the source, oh, I man. guess. I just wondered, like, cause I'm, let's see, I'm looking at the picture here. One, two, three. There's six other people on the panel. Did anybody of them, did any of them use, to use my son's terminology, I like this, hold up. <laughs> you know, did any of them go, Hold up! Wait, what? <laughs> Did, no, come on, Stacy. Well, you know, you're you know kidding, when it right? comes to uh, <laughs> when it comes to sides of the day, <laughs> right? <laughs> national Common Sense <laughs> Awareness Day. There you go. Yeah, Common Sense Awareness. Um, can you be aware of common sense if you have no common sense? I don't know. Um, yeah. But the, when it comes to conspiracy theories on both sides of the political aisle, there are obviously people with conspiracy theories on the right, uh, always have been, and there always have been on the left um, when it comes to extremes, right? But like <laughs> people seem to think that there is no such thing as a conspiracy theorist on the left, and and that's just – as crazy as could be. Well, you uh, and this is just one example. Busted. Yep, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> no joke. That's amazing. So, 
So there you go. Um, had to start the episode with uh, <laughs> national holidays. I get. Well, I don't know if they're national holidays. Well, maybe some some of them are. I don't know that Hug an Elephant Day or Elephant Appreciation Day is really a national <laughs> holiday. But anyway, if you have any insight as to how we could um, we could sort of petition for a common sense awareness day, and then you know alert Stacey Abrams to that, that might be great. I- I just, in my mind, had this image. You know those stickers that people have been putting around on gas pumps of Joe Biden pointing? Yeah. I'm and it's pointing at the them. price tag, and it says, I did that? Yeah. Okay, in my yeah, mind, yeah. I just envisioned a sticker like that of myself with like a little <laughs> word bubble coming out going, wow, 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 <laughs> on ultrasound machines all around the country. Yep. Be like, I did that. I did that. Wow, 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 wow. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> but how do you spell that in the word bubble? Well, just um, like it sounds. <laughs> that, yeah, that's what I was going to say. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So uh, where do we want to start off today, Tom? Oh, I don't know. That one, uh, I could just keep going on that one. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No joke. Well, I, oh, I like man. this one you wrote down here. Um We've got a couple here from from listeners, but mm-hmm, then you wrote mm-hmm. down one here. Are we responsible to make the world a better place? Yeah. Um, what do you think? No. Next question. All right. <laughs> <laughs> no. As with many things, uh, the answer to that is it depends. And and when I first read that title, there was one passage of scripture that came immediately to mind. Oh, good. And, okay, and it was, was Romans, Romans 12 and verse 8. Uh, it says yeah. something there, uh, like, uh, as much as is possible to live peaceably with all men, right? Something like that. I'm paraphrasing okay. there, mm-hmm. but I mean, could you not define that as an attempt to make the world a better place while you're in it? Uh, yeah, I suppose so, but I, I don't think that's what everyone means by it. I, I think people who often have the idea that we're supposed to make the world a better place are often coming from a worldview that's limited to this world only. And uh, they're often looking at it from a very environmentalist perspective, a very social Mm -hmm. causes perspective and humanitarian perspective, um, rather than from an evangelistic uh, perspective and an eternal perspective. Yeah, because you think about, yeah, that that perspective is CA, a naturalist perspective says, uh, what, what does that mean to, what does that look like to leave the world a better place? I guess people are happier um, resources are conserved and thriving, mm-hmm. and um, and everyone is generally uh, at peace and doing you know and and happy basically. Yeah. But and that's not to if, say that I don't want those things. Well, Certainly, sure. I do. But what if uh, you know? What if I live my life and people aren't happier because of what I did? Because I confronted them with the gospel. Because I told them truth. Um, and I ended up martyred in the process. And the only thing that made them happy was my martyrdom. Um, did I did I leave the world a better place? Well, uh, I mean, because if you understand the biblical paradigm that while we are lights and while uh, we are supposed to be salt to the earth and and that some will be saved, you know, the path is narrow that leads to eternal life. And the path is broad sure. that that leads to destruction. And we understand even, if you will, eschatologically, and what I mean by that is, in, in in the terms of end time events, things are going to go down before they go up. I mean, the the church is going to be raptured up. There's going to be entered yeah. in a tribulation. There's going to be destruction and misery like nobody's ever known before God comes back, whoops up on his enemies, and then sets up 
yeah. the millennium and eventually, you know, eternity. I mean, the new heaven, new earth. Right. But, but so, so I should expect in my lifetime to some degree to see uh, the worldly culture and secular uh, world spiraling downward. Right. I mean, well, sure. So, that's, so, that's what we're told about it. Right. So to leave that a better place. Well, what do you mean by that? You mean like I, I had kids and I, and I led them to the Lord and into a sanctified lifestyle to now be lights to the world. Well, I guess I left it better in that way. Or that's what I'm working on. Yeah. But that I made them happier and that everybody's just like, oh, he, you know, that, that in everyone else's opinion, I would have, uh, I would have lived a profitable life by their standards. Well, not necessarily. Yeah. Well, it's like, it's the difference between what you've maybe heard termed before as a big God, little man theology versus a big man, little God theology. Mm. If I look at the world from the perspective of, I need to make the world a better place. That's very man centered. Whereas mm. if my perspective is I'm here to live according to God's purposes, uh, that's very God centered. And when you do that, that doesn't always look like it's making the world better from a lot of people's perspective. Um, and, and we also have to consider what what we're doing with verses like Second Timothy. What is it? Um, three. Second yeah, Timothy I've just three. Yeah, been studying that um, recently, personally. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But evil just men uh, and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. So it's it's we're told outright that the world is going to get worse and worse. So to have the worldview that we're supposed to make the world a better place. Um, I don't know that it seems somewhat conflicting again, that doesn't mean you just kind of let everything go downhill that, that you can, that's not, that's not the right response, but I think everyone is going to differ on how they think making the world a better place is done. Um, Mm. you know what I mean? Not everyone agrees on how that is done. Right. Um, looking up that passage on, see, deceived and uh, evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. That's 2 Timothy 3.13. And uh, mm-hmm. even in the beginning of that chapter, he's talking about, um, you know, that, uh, let's see. I'm Persecutions. Three here. Uh, this is a true, no, no, no. 2 Timothy is what I'm looking for here. Um, 2 Timothy 3, verse 1, he says, uh, this know also that in the last days, perilous times shall come. And then he just describes what will be reality. Men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemer, and on and on it goes. I mean, several descriptions yeah. of what men will be like. That will be the reality in a, in a time, in Paul's uh, reference, in a time to come, you know? Um, so, yeah, I mean, we, we I, I would just kind of say it's a sort of a misdirected statement. What is my responsibility? My responsibility is to uh, obey the Lord implicitly to, 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 as as Jesus said, to do the work of the father, Um, you know? Yeah. And, and that means to to glorify him. To one, not be surprised. I think that's maybe our initial duty here. (laughs) uh, What's that mean? To to not be surprised by an increasingly terrible world. Ah, I see. You know, like that shouldn't surprise me. And yet how often are we shocked by the horrible things that we hear on a day-to-day basis, it really shouldn't surprise us. <laughs> you know, we should be prepared for this as the scriptures have told us that things will wax worse and worse. And, and I mean, this, the second responsibility maybe in that would be to, to live according to God's holy purposes. And like I mentioned earlier, and, and maybe a third responsibility is that 
just to be ready for when Jesus comes, <laughs> you know, uh, live every day like he's coming today. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, those might be <clears throat> three fair responses to, you know, the world becoming more and more terrible. Hmm. Yep. Okay. Um, let's see. Let me get back to my list of questions here. You, um, you must have written this question here. Do I need to earn my child's respect? Is that your question? Yeah, that one's an old one um, that okay. I put on there a while back. And yeah. there's uh, there's no shortage of parenting philosophies out there. <laughs> and <laughs> but, uh, what's what's the saying about opinions and dirty diapers? I, I forget what it what it was <laughs> or how it goes, but some, something like everyone has had them and they they all stink or something. Um. <laughs> I change regularly. (laughs) Yeah, that's it. Something like that. I'm probably (laughs) botching the whole phrase, but, but that's the idea. And, and even amongst Christians, there's different parenting philosophies. Mm -hmm. And occasionally I run across this parenting philosophy online amongst Christian circles. The idea that I have to earn my child's respect. Hmm. Um, What do you think about that? In order to raise a child for the Lord, do you need to earn their respect? Um, I would alter that a little bit. I would say, number one, you need to teach them uh, what respect is and who and how they ought to respect. Um, and okay. then, of course, in obeying the command to, uh, I'm thinking of fathers here, bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. You will earn their respect, um, especially mm-hmm. if you're not provoking them to wrath. It's going to be a natural outflow, I think, Um by and large, of your obeying the Lord and of teaching them what respect is. It's not that they just right. inherently... Now, I, I do think in a functional family where the, where the parents actually care, there, there is just sort of an intrinsic devotion from the child, you know? I agree and now, with this. And, and, and I say functional, I, I, that even breaks out of the functional family. My mom prior to the time I was born, um, at one point had like 10 foster boys. Um, and I'm sure they're from, you know, broken homes and these bad backgrounds, obviously from broken homes. That's the reason they're in foster care. Um, but boy, you know, I mean, some of them, if not all of them would stand up for their mom, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I mean, they love right. their mother. And so there's that intrinsic love. And I, so I think if a dad treats his kids, right, they like dad, you know, yeah. they, Dad is, is a secure figure. The girls feel the security of their dad. Um, but anyway, if you teach them, but, but I have, you know, said, you know, to my own kids, something like, hey, who is this? This is your mother. It's not your mm-hmm. sister. This is not your classmate. This is your mother. Right. This is, you know, right. she, she is up here. You respect her. You talk to her yeah. differently. You respond to her mm-hmm. this way. I'm teaching them how to respect and that respect is deserved by this person in God's design. And so you need to direct that sin nature to a proper understanding of respect. And then as you live God's design, you're going to, it'll be there. I think. I guess here's, here's my concern with the saying. Um, And and I don't disagree with anything you said. Uh, I think there will be a natural respect in a functional home uh, in which the children have a respect for their parents. Uh, And and that will develop more and more over time. It's not like they come out of the womb instantly respecting parents. They have to be taught that. Right. But I think many times people make the mistake, especially with very young children, uh, this concept of I have to earn my child's respect. Well, how are you going to do that when they're very young? 
And, and that's my concern is that parents are going to do things to try and earn the child's respect, but the child has no idea what they mean by respect. They have no idea what respect is. Right. And, and to a child, they're going to interpret that as my parent is doing things that I want them to do. Right. I want more of this. Right. Right. And it's, I'm and, earning and, my child's approval and not their respect. Right. Yes. Right. Mm -hmm. And see, I don't think you earn your child's respect by earning their approval in every case. Right. And my concern with the whole thing is that it essentially creates a child centric home uh, in which yeah. this this whole culture of, you know, I have to teach, I have, I have to, to earn my child's respect. Well, well, no, they need to learn to respect the office of parent. Yes. Um, yeah. Whether a parent is always good at earning their child's respect or not, they need to respect the office of parent. Because <clears throat> one of the things you're going to find out as a parent is that you're not perfect. <laughs> yeah, and the sure. moment the child has learned throughout life that their parents struggled and tried to earn their respect, what happens when the parent is suddenly not perfect in the eyes of the child? Real or perceived, right? Mm. Even if the child starts to perceive all the imperfections of their parent, um, well, they're going to lose respect for their parent. Um, they need to respect the office of parent, um, especially. Now, that doesn't mean that parents are above reproach no, in every right. case. Um, obviously not. You don't want to teach that to the child either. But I think there's this whole concept of parenting out there that just elevates the child so much mm -hmm. that it essentially cripples and hamstrings the parent from ever actually having to train and discipline and repeat and train and discipline and repeat because I might not earn the child's respect. Um, I think that's folly. I, I agree. Um, I agree because I mean, there's more, there's more to say there, but you, you have to understand as a parent that you have a, a God given authority. Somebody in the yeah. home has to be in control. Now, yeah. of course, there's the balance that they're not a doormat and you're not allowed to do anything and talk to them anyway. I mean, and be right with God. Right. Um, I understand right. that, of course. Um, but I like the analogy of, if you will, like a solar system that, you know, when the child's born, he's born into the family orbit. Everything doesn't orbit around him, you know. It orbits around more so the parents, but and, and ideally we'd say, you know, the center would be God. But we're all orbiting, you know, or they're orbiting. They're a part of the orbit. They're in orbit. They're, they're with everybody else. They have a valuable and a, and a real place, but they're not the center. We don't all revolve around them. Uh, they right. have to fit into what are, what is our family doing? How are, yeah. where, where are we going? What is our purpose? And our purpose isn't for you to decide what we're doing. You've got to fall in line and, uh, and, you know, understand your role. Yeah. Here. <clears throat> Yeah. And, and I guess, Mike, I'm just concerned that with such a parenting philosophy, um, it's kind of creating it's 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 having a spiritual sounding way of just saying I'm a parent who doesn't occasionally break some eggs. Instead, I walk on eggshells for my kids. Mm -hmm. And, and mm -hmm. I just think that that's again, that's folly. And, and let me just throw out one thought, too. Sometimes we can look uh we can look loving and I'm not, I'm not accusing everybody in a certain parenting philosophy of this per se, but sometimes we can, um, mistake, we can, we can misidentify something, you know, Oh, I, I cuddle and hold and love my child all the time. 
because because I I love my child. Well, really, it's a self love because that's what mm-hmm. makes you feel good. You feel right. fulfilled, you know. And I mean, Very in a joke, point. in a jokey way, I I you know sometimes my kids will get you know, might get hurt or something, you know, and the little girl bonks her head or something like, oh, come here, you know, give me a hug, it'll make me feel better anyway, you know. <laughs> I don't know if it'll help right. your head, but I'll feel better about right. it because I gave you a hug. But what was that really loving you? And so that, yeah, that coddling mentality is sometimes a self-love yeah. by the parents. There was uh, a number of years ago, and I don't know if this is still a thing in some places, there was this wacky trend of young girls in, you know, between 15 and 25 years of age, uh, getting these designer handbags in which you could put a tiny puppy and they would get these little dogs that they would really? put in these handbags and they would carry them around with them. Oh I remember this is back all the way back when I was still living in Pennsylvania, the hospital I was working at, I remember some of the the employees there talking about that. And I said, is that, is that really a thing? And they said, Oh yeah. Yeah. And they were telling me about it. Um, but it's almost like, and, and you know me, I'm not a huge pet guy, but I can still see the silliness sometimes of using a living creature as a fashion accessory. And and in, in many ways, you know, they they gush over the cuteness of this little thing. Uh, really, it's it's their own, for their own gratification in many sure. ways. Yeah. But 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 what you said makes a lot of sense because some people do treat parenting that way. Mm-hmm. They treat their child like it's a fashion accessory, and in some, even in some Christian circles, this whole style of parenting can become a trendy fashion accessory, like a designer handbag with a puppy in it. Now, now granted, they're probably not literally doing that with their child when carrying their child around in a handbag. But there, they, there's almost the same mentality that I've got to have the trendy parenting style and then all of this. And it's like, I don't know, just gag me. <laughs> I pray for Tom's just raise, kids, you know, just, yeah, just raise, just raise the kid in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, you know? Right. And I, and I realize, you know, I don't have daughters. Um, I, I, I fully accept the fact that if I had a daughter, I would parent the child differently than I parent my sons. Um, I, I acknowledge that. Okay. I raise boys. Um, <laughs> that's, that's exactly what we're doing here. Um, but that doesn't mean I think every parenting style and philosophy is valid and good. Um, but anyway, right. I digress. True. Okay. Now, now who's but- triggered? <laughs> <laughs> Well, you're always triggered, but I mean, for me, it was, no, I'm just kidding. Not really. Hey, that was a shot yeah. across the bow. <laughs> that was unprovoked. <laughs> um, that triggered me again. <laughs> okay. So Sorry. we've got a couple of listener feedback here. I would like to go to this one. Omar writes in and says, uh, hey, in episode 160, you were talking about church governance and the need to give people room to grow. This is very true, and I thought it would be a good time to ask your thoughts, something I've been thinking about for a while. I have always thought it odd that when a person gets saved and wants to join a church, we first have them make a, quote, statement of positive affirmation, end quote, saying they agree with our entire doctrinal statement, even as a brand new convert. Many new converts probably don't understand half of the doctrinal statement. It seems strange that we don't give them any room to grow and to be convinced of what we believe in the finer points of theology. 
Only recently, I have discovered that many churches have two statements of faith, one for church leadership, preachers, teachers, deacons, etc., and one for general membership. The membership statement of faith is simplified to remove the deepest levels of specificity found in the larger statement of faith. This seems like a good way to allow fellow believers to be part of our church while still giving them space to grow. What are your thoughts? And then he says, uh, addendum, some examples of points that might be, or excuse me, might not be necessary for a new member's statement of faith include sanctification as a progressive process, church's relationship to Israel, when the church began, local church versus universal church, tithe, dispensationalism, divorce, remarriage, use of tobacco and alcohol, uh, various personal standards, specific timing of end time events, and detailed eschatological interpretations. So, Back to his question, um, what are your thoughts about two different doctrinal statements? I, I don't know. Um, it seems kind of weird to me at first, though, though I can't say I'm, I'm totally against the idea. It seems kind of weird to me. I mean, I would rather just take someone who's new and just disciple them through each thing slowly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um before membership is even a consideration. Do you know what I mean? I see. Um, and, and it would also depend also on whether they have any, um, any viewpoints on these subjects beforehand. Like how often does someone truly come in as a blank slate? Um, (laughs) it's kind of, it's kind of rare, you know, if someone did come in as a blank slate, I could see maybe having a very simplistic doctrinal statement to start them off with and, and not hiding the ball and saying, this is, this is our, our kind of beginner's doctrinal statement. We have a more complex one that will come in time. I, 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 you know, you're not, we're not trying to hide the ball from them, but I don't know too many people that come in as a blank slate. Most people already have some sort of preconceived notion about a lot of these things uh, that have been listed. Maybe not all of them, um, <clears throat> but I, w- I would much rather just take someone through the doctrinal statement just slowly. But uh, I will admit that is overwhelming to a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Um, there are even uh, seasoned veterans of church who, when they look at our doctrinal statement, they go, whoa. <laughs> It's like, I can't ever know all of this. And usually my response to them, because uh, it's it's required that we go through it with them mm-hmm. if they're mm-hmm. going to join. Usually my response to them is something like, <clears throat> well, none of us expect, or expect you to have all of this information mastered. Right. But the reason why we go through it is so that we can verify and acknowledge that your heart leans toward the word of God on these subjects. Uh, because we provide scriptural support for each subject. And if we go through this thing together and we find that someone leans away from the scripture and says, you know, I don't like what that says. I, I disagree with that. Well, then we're going to have some issues with that church member. So, um, yeah, I'd, I'd much rather just go through it and kind of see where their heart is at. I would say like what you're saying um, with with them, you're know, looking at it and seeing it's overwhelming. Think about somebody in the New Testament day, you know, on the day of Pentecost, uh, they hear the preaching, they're convicted. Of course, they're already uh, thoroughbred Jewish people, right, um, for the most part, unless they're proselytes. Um, but yeah, Jewish people. So they, they're really grounded in an Old Testament theology and things like that. 
but they hear the preaching, they're converted, they're baptized, and that day there's added to the church, you know, 3,000 souls. Now, um, I think there's an argument there for it's not just they were added to the universal church, they became part of the broader body of Christ, but they, that they became a part of the church as, a, as an organization, you know, that yeah. if you will, they were on the rolls. Did they understand, you know, say, say, say uh, you know, say a Jewish 12 year old boy hears it. Is he thoroughly versed in all the apostles doctrine? Mm. No, but he knows enough to say, that's what I want to be a part of. And I want to follow these men and I want to learn from yeah. them. And I want to know God. This is, this is yeah. the way of truth. So they, they sign on to that. Uh, of course, they're going to grow into it and their understanding is going to be expanded. But here's, here's what I want to say is that your doctrinal positions define who you are. And so to say, to, to define myself less, um, to say here, you know, do you want to join me and I'll sort of, I'll sort of um, blur the edges a little bit and I'll make myself less defined so that you can feel comfortable being with me, um, you know, and then eventually, hopefully you'll, you'll agree with me. Well, no, your doctrinal position defines who you are and people, they won't grasp the totality of the doctrine, but I feel like they can still say, but if that's what your doctrinal stance is, that's fine with me. I'm with you because I want to be a part of this body. Now in time, will we learn that? Sure. We all have growth, but this is who we are. And so to lessen the doctrine um, is really to, in some ways, minimize our identity. And, uh, and then my question is, if somebody becomes like a member on the membership level, but not the leadership level, and then they are growing, they're listening to what you say, and they disagree with you, they, they refuse to be convinced by the scriptural proof um, whether it's about the church's relationship to Israel or divorce and remarriage or, um, you know, the things like that, local church versus universal church. Um, they say, well, I, I disagree. We don't really agree on that doctrine. But well, now, now what do you do? Do you say, well, now I've given you time to grow. You don't agree. So I'm going to have to church you, you know, or you're going to have to resign your membership. Um when right up front, you know, and I guess it's similar, basically, if they sign on up front and you teach them, but at least they knew, okay, this is our doctrinal statement coming forward. Yeah. Instead of like, well, now you knew this on a membership level, this is our leadership level, and you have to eventually agree on the leadership level in order to stay. Well, what? I mean, when do they grow into the leadership level of the thing? Do they sign? Yeah. Are they well, ten years? I, I feel like up? I feel like we're getting I feel like we're getting off in the weeds here a little bit. To to back up kind of where you started with this, whether someone joins and says, I'm committing my loyalty to this institution, even though I don't understand everything they're going to teach me yet. Mm -hmm. That to me is fundamentally no different than the person who says, okay, I'm looking at the beginner's version of a doctrinal statement. And they tell me there's a more advanced version of this later. There's really no difference between the two people. They're doing the same thing and they know the same amount. Uh, it's just done a different way. Um, and I don't think that you're lessening the identity of the church by giving them a beginner's doctoral statement. As long as you are making them aware, there's more to this. Are you willing to stick around and learn this? Um, it would be different if you said, here's a beginner's doctrinal statement, but never showed them the other one. 
and told them that this is all you yeah. need to know. Um, that would be different. That to me is guile. That's hiding the ball from them. But I, I also want to acknowledge um, a difference between first century and today. Yeah. I, I think we often look at ancient people and we think that they weren't as smart as we are. And and I don't think that's true. No. Now, I will acknowledge no. that in Acts chapter 2, they did not yet have the full body of doctrine that we have since Paul's writings and then ultimately finishing with the Apostle John. True, right. Um, they didn't have all of that. <clears throat> um, so what they were doing by becoming part of that body is they were saying, I am, in a sense, committing my loyalty to this institution, though I don't know everything they're going to teach me yet. Whereas today, when it comes to people joining a church, it's a totally different approach that people have. People don't look at church, I think, the same way that first century Christians did. First mm, century yeah. Christians were joining an institution that is very likely going to be persecuted, and they all knew it because Christ himself was crucified, <laughs> the head of that body. And they're joining something that they know could cost them a lot. There was a degree of loyalty implicit even in joining. Mm -hmm. Whereas today, people look at church in the same way that they scroll through similar products on Amazon. And your job in showing them your doctrinal statement I'm going to say it. I'm going to say the unvarnished truth. You're basically selling them on your church because you have to convince them with this doctrine that what you're saying is biblical and right. And they either buy it or they don't. And people look at your doctrinal statement. They go, ah, I don't know. Ah, I don't know. I don't like that. Ah, that seems too strict to me. Ah, that seems too narrow to me. And then they just go look somewhere else. Um, <clears throat> it, it is really the, um, well, to use your word, the defining factor of a church is what it believes. So um, I'm not opposed to someone joining it with limited knowledge, as long as I can see with the doctrine that they're being taught, whether their heart is bent toward the scriptures or not. Because you can tell when someone joins a church and they've given their heart to Christ and they've given their loyalty to his institution, you can tell this person is, is teachable. This person is going to learn. This person is a thinking individual, but they're also a humble individual. And, and, and you have to have both of those things. And I think the average church shopper, to use the term, um, who often just ends up a church hopper, um, the average church shopper today, they, they, they often don't seem to have a teachable spirit. They have preconceived ideas that they bring to the church and they want the church to simply bend toward them. Otherwise they won't stay. Um, and they, they, they often don't have the humility or the loyalty to the institution that God made. Um, it's, it's, it's treated like a product. So you feel like if you were, if you had someone like that, that you could tell was just sort of, uh, you know, wanted to bend you to their will and you gave them the primary doctrinal statement, the, the, uh, the primitive doctrinal statement, and they agreed that far. So they became members. Do you really want that to happen? Or would you rather just tell them up front, this is who we are, uh, in detail. And if you don't like it, then shop elsewhere. Which well, yeah, that's what I said. From, that's what I said from the beginning was I would rather go through it with them in its entirety mm -hmm. slowly and see where their heart is at. Mm -hmm. Because one of the things that happens in ministry frequently is pastors invest in people. 
They put time and energy into people. They build a relationship with people. And then their heart gets ripped out when this person has all of this investment now. And then you get to, you know, doctrinal section blank, you know, subsection A, B or C, whatever. And they go, oh, I don't think I agree with that. <laughs> you know, we're, we're going to the place up the road uh, or what have you. And then you've made all this investment seemingly for nothing. Um it, it seems in some ways maybe colder and more objective to just go through it all with them at first. And you're probably going to stay small as a church. But at least when you do have people that stick around, you know, they're sticking around for the right reasons and uh, there's maybe less heartache in it um, potentially. So I'm, I'm looking at the list and I know some things we would say, I mean, I, I don't, maybe some doctrinal statements do cover it, you know, various personal standards. Um, okay. You know, or or when the church began, that may not seem as serious. But you know, if I look at each of these things and I say, who would that? If I gave them a, if I left that out as a deeper doctrinal definition, so that you know they they don't understand that, and they could come in, or I say they couldn't understand it, or they just, I may not know they believe something different, but they they would agree with you know the person of the Holy Spirit, but. I leave out sanctification as a progressive process. What, what does that mean that they can believe in the second blessing or the church's relationship to Israel? Could I be letting in a covenant theologian, a local church versus universal church? Could I be letting in an LCO guy? I mean, you know, it's like, what, what about, would I be permitting into my body and then later saying, whoa, well, that's wrong? I think the key distinction Omar makes in his question is that he talks about when a person gets saved and wants to join a church. Mm-hmm. Um, now, some of our conversation has bled over into maybe those who are already saved and they're reviewing your doctrinal statement. I get that. But, you know, when it comes to someone getting born again at your church, are they always a blank slate? No, of course no. not. Um, they're still going to come in with some preconceived notions about these ideas. Um, is it fair in that circumstance if they want to join to simply let them, um, even if they don't have, you know, the whole doctrinal statement, you know, under their belt at this point. Uh, I think, I think in some cases that that's fair. Uh, I think in some cases it is. If, if you have discerned that this person has given their heart to Christ and they have a, a loyalty to his institution in which they desire to join it and they, they, they love the brethren, you know, I, I think it's fair to let them join, but you know, don't, don't keep them ignorant. Uh, don't, don't let, let them sit in the dark. Well, yeah, fair to let them join, but how? What are you saying? Fair to let them join? Uh, I mean, but that's that's sort of that's sort of a, aside from the doctrinal statement. What? How does that pull in the doctrinal statement question? Well, it's fair to let well, that's his join. question. Omar's question is about. I've always thought it odd when a person gets saved and wants to join a church. We first have them make a statement of positive affirmation, saying they agree with our entire doctrinal statement. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm saying if someone does get saved and they get baptized and they want to join the church. Uh, I think a rudimentary understanding of the doctrinal statement is fine. Um, they're not going to be, you know, a theologian uh, the first week. Well, um, I agree with what you said that that we we permit them to have a rudimentary understanding of it, but to give them a rudimentary doctrinal statement to me is a different thing. Um, so when he says it seems strange that we don't give them any room to grow, that's really I don't I wouldn't say that's true. Of course, we give them room to grow, but we say, but this is who we are. 
you know, as a body. So this is, this is what you're a part of. And you know, up front, you may not understand all this stuff and certainly you're going to grow and we want you to grow. But, um, it's, it's different to say you don't understand all this stuff versus let's give you, um, a dumbed down doctrinal statement, you know, that sort of mildly defines who we are. Um, you know, I think, I think it's kind of problematic myself. It actually creates more issues, you know, in some ways, as far as like, well, how do you, yeah. how do you legislate all that? Well, like, okay, you're a new believer, but now you've been saved. Well, how many years? Seven years. Okay. Well then no, we got to give you the, the, you know, the souped up doctrinal statement because you've yeah. had long enough to, st- well, okay. You know, then who gets what yeah. and at what point do they get the next one? And, um, yeah, well, it, it, you know, looking at the question again, he says, it seems strange that we don't give them any room to grow and be convinced of what we believe in the finer points of theology. And, and he goes on to say about these churches that have one doctrinal statement for the church leadership and another for general membership. In a sense, you would be forced to have to acknowledge that many of your points of doctrine in your leadership statement are flexible because you're going to have to conclude that in order that to be a like member it. of this body, you're, we have to allow you to come to different conclusions than us on these matters. Well, that's you know what I mean? wondered. Like, what's the flexibility? And they're like, like, you don't have to believe as much as the leadership does. Well, okay, then what constitutes an actual disagreement and with the with the doctrinal statement? What if they yeah. disagree with the well? Is a disagreement with the leadership statement different than a disagreement with the membership statement, or how does that you know? Well, I, I think I think what it comes down to is if you're showing them your, the fullest of your doctrinal statement, the fullness of it you're not necessarily telling them what to believe. You're showing them why you believe it. Yeah. You're saying and, this is who we are. Yeah. And, and I think, I think what Omar is, is maybe kind of seeing here is that some churches have this full doctrinal statement and they're telling you, here's what you have to believe. Whereas I think it should be incumbent upon the leadership to say, here's what we believe. Here's why. You're welcome to believe this and stay, if you <laughs> wish. Um, I, I think that's kind of the the maybe the um, that's that's the meat in the sandwich right there is the part where we say this is why we believe what we believe, and a lot of churches lack that. They simply say, "Here's the doctrinal statement." That's that. Um, hmm. Whereas they don't actually seek to 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 really gain the heart of the person. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And that's going to require sitting down with them and saying, here's what we believe, and this is why, and let me show you the scriptures on this. In fact, don't even just look at the verses. Let's go to each of them, and let me explain to you why each of these verses is relevant to this topic. And by the time you're done two, three hours with somebody, you've only finished one point in the doctrinal statement. Well, so be it. Their heart is at least convinced at this point, if they've got a heart that leans toward the scriptures. Um, Does that make sense? Uh, yeah, I think so. We, I mean, we have a statement of of approval, basically that someone that a that a new member would have to sign uh, of agreement, essentially. Uh, you know, and it is kind of that positive affirmation of the doctrinal statement. Um, but you know, if someone says, "Whoa, I don't," you know, "I don't," I don't know. I don't think I can agree to that. Well, you're free to attend and listen and understand. You can't be involved and connect with us in the same way, but we don't really in some ways really want you to be uh, really invested until we know you're one of us. And, and yeah. so if we, it, you know, well, if, if we take his addendum here in the question, 
kind of kind of uh, what what conclusion this this forces is essentially that all of these doctrines that he lists in the addendum would have to be viewed as being not the non-essential. Yeah, as a non-essential, effectively, and I don't like that term. Um, right, but right. but I know what people mean by it, because mm-hmm. you would end up with a church where you might have some of the congregation believes in the second blessing, and some don't. Some of the mm-hmm. congregation uh, believes the church began on this day, and and some believe it began on this day, or what have you. Some are local church, some are universal church, and some are both, and some some don't believe in tithing, and so on. You would really end up with quite a mixed bag, mm-hmm. which yes, it does give people room to grow. But where is all of the leadership in this? You know what I mean? Where where is the leadership sitting down with people and actually discipling them? That's that's my question. Because mm-hmm. you could eliminate a lot of the mixed bag stuff if you have someone who has the heart of a teacher who's going to be really discipling people mm-hmm. and helping them along. I would just say one other comment before we wrap this up is a legal comment. Um, you know, we followed uh, the instruction of the CLA, the Christian Law Association, years ago in adding things to our doctrinal statement, uh, maybe even to our bylaws, but uh, partly to protect ourselves legally because of, I guess, issues that had happened particularly with, uh, say, the uh, the gay under the gay agenda, or um, it seemed like there was another one, but where someone basically might infiltrate the church, and because of a lack of specificity in the doctrinal statement, you know, they'll give tithes, and they'll become invested, they'll work themselves into a place of authority and then they'll announce, you know, I'm a homosexual. Well, you can't be a homosexual. We kick you out of the church. Oh, well, then I want my tithe back, you know, and then they sue the church or something like that. So if they know up front who you are, you know, and and instead of just saying, we believe that we ought to live a pure life before God. Well, that's not very specific, you know, but if we say, you know, we, um, and I can't remember the exact wording of our doctrinal statement, you know, um, we view as a sin all these forms of sexual perversion, you know, transvestism and, you know, pedophilia and blah, 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 blah. Those are outlined as those are wrong. And if you ever stand up and say, oh, well, I, I am one of those, then we say, well, you've just disqualified yourself from membership. You're no longer a member because you knew that coming in. We had a small front door and and you knew what that was. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you have a large front door that's just kind of like, you know, it, it as long as you generally agree with this, come be a part of us. And then later, it seems like you're dealing with a lot more ruckus internally because of disagreement. Where if you have a small front door, they knew up front what, what you believe. They may not have understood it all, but they knew up front. And if they did understand it and wanted to infiltrate, that's not a good place to do it. Yeah. Well, it would certainly be uh, easier for us if we had some sort of New Testament uh, predicate to tell us exactly how big our doctrinal statement should be required for membership. Um, I, I can't think of any, uh, can you, as far as, you know, what do we put in it? What do we not? And, um, yeah, I'm just thinking of, uh, it was X two forty two, Um, and, uh, let me find the text of that. Um, that says, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, and in breaking of bread yeah. and prayers. Um, yeah. So. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not saying that there isn't a New Testament predicate for what we should believe. There, mm-hmm. of course, is. But as far as the actual printing out of a doctrinal statement for public consumption and for membership requirements, um, you know, mm-hmm. I don't know of uh, any details on that. No, um, no, <laughs> no, I don't either. Yeah, that would make it easy. 
anyway. <laughs> um, yeah, well, thank you, Omar, for the question. And uh, and we've got other we've got a bit of other feedback we haven't gotten to yet, and we'll have to cover it in another episode. But anyway, yeah. thanks all for listening and give us your feedback. A reason together podcast at gmail.com. Yeah, thank you for being with us on this episode. We are encouraging balance, developing perspective, and connecting faith to practice. This is Reason Together. <laughs>